0: So a number of questions on the kalam. We'll just clarify those. At the time of Isa salam, Allah revealed the Injil. So were Muslims to follow this revelation as the Quran had not at that time been revealed? That's a very good question. The thing is that there were no Muslims at that time in the sense of Muslims, i.e. this ummah. In fact, the believers of the Prophet of the time are Muslim in the sense that Muslim means... To submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Ibrahim alayhi salam said, Aslamtu li Rabbil alameen. The only difference in this ummah and the other ummah then is that this ummah has been called Muslim by the name that it is, even though all the other ummas, the true followers of the prophets of the time, they were also Muslimin in the literal sense. It's just like all of us, all the men sitting here, are Ibad each individual is an Abdullah, and each female is an Amatullah. The women are all Amatullah, imaullah However, if a particular person is called Abdullah, then basically he's just been called what he is. It's a special designation by being called what it is. Right? The others choose to take other names. A woman is called Amatullah. So that's just taking the name of the reality, whereas all the women are Amatullah. So that's the way this is. So the believers of the time had to follow the Injil. The believers at the time, the Musa alayhi salam had to follow the Torah. It's only after the Qur'an was revealed that people were required now to follow this new book and to believe in this new prophet. So hopefully that clarifies. Why do we have bad jinns? What do they do to us? Do they harm us in any way? Bad jinns is just like asking why do we have bad human beings? Is this mischief? Excessive anger? Desire? and evil shaitan shaitan affects everybody what can they do to us i mean it just depends just this is not time for you know in depth discussion about this but there's many things that a jinn can do to the human being unfortunately because the human being expresses their weakness in front of the jinn the main protection against the jinn is ayatul kursi and all the duas of protection and this feeling that allah will protect me then nobody can do anything i remember a friend of mine He mentioned that his child was sleeping in his bedroom And in the middle of the night His suddenly called out to his father So his father went running He said, look, I I see the devil Now he said, my son's never watched movies or whatever He doesn't know what a devil looks like But he's saying, this is the devil In Arabic, it's like, Baba, Shaitan, Shaitan Right? He's never seen the Shaitan He's never seen a movie that depicts the devil So where's he getting this from? He was very young at the time. So he said to him, quickly, you know, say ayatul kursi, say Allah, la ilaha illallah, read the du'as. And as he read that, he goes, oh baba, it's gone now. He was very confident as well, he wasn't frightened, he was just like, what's going on here, what's this? This friend of mine has actually done a lot of research in jinn and things like that. He says, children, because their eyes haven't formed yet, they see things at different frequencies. And sometimes they're able to hear and see things, and that's why you have these children. Sometimes they say, I'm seeing things, and they take them to a doctor, and the doctor can't really do anything because this is not allopathic medicine, you know. So, the main thing though, the main source of protection is ayatul kursi, staying pure on wudu as much as possible, and ayatul kursi or du'as, the du'as of protection. Even women in the state of menses can read du'as. And that should protect them. And the main thing is to feel that Allah is my protector and to believe in that, and then inshallah the jinn can't do anything. You said that the Ash'aris, and remember this is not necessarily Imam Ash'aris' opinion, it's the Ash'ari school, okay? Believe that Musa absorbed the eternal speech, and the Ma'atulidi say that it was a created form. Can we just leave it at that and have no inclination to one group or the other in this matter? Or do we have to adopt the majority opinion? Absolutely. It's not something you have to insist on this way or that way. These are possibilities. right? These are possibilities. These are not things that you have to be convinced about one way or the other. We just have to believe that Allah spoke to Musa alayhi salam because he mentions that in the Quran and that's our belief. If someone was to ask, if Islam is indeed the correct religion, then why... How come Allah created many other religions? How would you answer? How come there are non Muslims if our religion was planned out before theirs and so our religion is also planned out? The way it was is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Adam alayhi salam, He sent Ibrahim alayhi salam, He sent many of the prophets one after the other. Sometimes there were different prophets in different areas, they had a message that was for a specific group of people sometimes. Musa salam's message was to the group. After Musa salam passed away, when Isa salam came and he brought this new message, the new book, it was required of the Bani Israel to believe in Isa salam. Many of them did not. Basically they step, they stayed a step behind, okay? And they continued on whatever they had of their religion left with them after all the corruption in it and so on and so forth. Then you had the Christians who believed in Isa Alayhi the initial Christians, meaning the initial people who followed Isa Alayhi like the Hawari and others. Slowly, slowly, that religion became corrupt. Then came Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So now people were required to follow this new Prophet, who was from Allah, who was refreshing the previous religion, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in Surah As-Saf, where Isa sallam already mentioned that there'll be a Prophet to come after me. And the Prophet ﷺ would say, and Allah Taala says that this is just confirming what you have already. So basically, other religions that we have today, all they are, are just a corrupted continuation of the previous prophets, sharia, or ways of the prophets and religions that had originally been pure. Now, we know about the Christians and we know about the Jews. When you go to, for example, Hinduism, we don't really know. If there's something in the Vedas, in the books of the Hindus that confirms to, you know, conforms to what's mentioned in the Qur'an, then you know, we're not going to deny that. If it contradicts, then we're going to deny that. And if we don't know, we're going to leave it. You know, there's no point speaking about it. Because there's things in the Vedas which talk about, for example, the coming of Muhammad wasallam. So Allah knows best. There could have been prophets in India and other places. The point is that there are other religions because they're remnants of previous God-sent religions, or there's modern-day, contemporary religions and others that people have just made up. So that's why there's other religions. You can repeat the definition of Rasul. Rasul, insanun, hurun, min Adam, min bani Adam, Uhiya ilayhi bi وامر بتبليغه سواء كان معه كتاب انزل عليه ليبلغه ناسخا لشرع من قبله او غير ناسخ له او على من قبله وامر بِدَعْوَةِ الناس اليه ذلك بان امر بتبليغ الوحي من غير كتاب فهو اخص من النبي so it's من النبي Okay, Hadith Qudsi. There was a lot of questions about Hadith Qudsi. I'm just going to explain Quran, Hadith Qudsi, and regular Hadith. Okay, other Hadith. The Quran is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly inspired in a particular word and form to the Prophet sallallahu which he then conveyed to the masses. So the Quran is specifically a special composition from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, that is given through the Prophet Sallallahu to mankind. He doesn't change the words; he says it exactly as he revealed it. The Hadith Qudsi, it's a subcategory of Hadith in general, which are sayings of the Prophet Sallallahu They're considered revelations from Allah, in which the Prophet Sallallahu said, "Allah says." In regular Hadith, the Prophet Sallallahu doesn't say Allah said. So these are like specific inspirations that are not the Quran because they're not revealed in word, but they're revealed in meaning. And the Prophet says them in his own words, but he says Allah said that I am closer to the servant when he I am closer to the servant and he remembers me. You know that whole hadith, for instance. Hadith al-Qudsi is a hadith in which the Prophet relates it from Allah by saying Allah said. You understand? And it's an inspiration that oh Allah just told me, Allah told me this, Allah inspired me with this. Whereas other hadith, they're also obviously inspiration, but he doesn't mention that Allah said so. This is something that comes into his heart, or something he says himself, right? When it relates to worldly things or whatever. So that's the difference between hadith Qudsi, hadith regular hadith, normal hadith, and then the Qur'an. So the Qur'an is revealed in word and form. Sayyid Sharif al-Jurjani offers the following definition, in the definitions, a hadith qudsi, in its context, is from Allah Most High. So, in its meaning, it's from Allah Most High, and in its wording, from the Prophet sallallahu It is that which Allah Most High has communicated to His Prophet through revelation or in a dream, and He sallallahu in turn, in turn, has transmitted in His own words. The Quran is superior to a hadith qudsi. Because aside from being revelation, it is the divine word of Allah. So hopefully that explains that. Okay, the next section here is about Allah's transcendence, the beatific vision, and anthropomorphism. From here, after explaining Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with what we have from the sources of sharia, and explaining his speech and the Prophet sallallahu Imam Tahawi now begins to warn the ummah through his work on what to avoid now. So after he establishes uh, an understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the correct sources, he now tells us what to avoid. So you can see the transition there. Imam Tahawi says in this point 38, وَمَنْ وَصَفَ اللَّهُ بِمَعْنًا مِنْ مَعَانِ الْبَشَرِ فَقَدْ كَفَرْ فَمَنْ أَبْصَرَ هَذَا اِعْتَبَرْ وَعَنْ مِثْلِ قَوْلِ الْكُفَّارِ إِنْ زَجَرْ وَعَلِمَ أَنَّهُ بِصِفَاتِهِ Number 38, whoever ascribes any human qualities to Allah has blasphemed. So, whoever perceives this, takes heed. Whoever understands this point that it's blasphemy to attribute any human quality to Allah, then that's blasphemy, whoever understands this, takes heed and refrains from such such statements of the disbelievers and knows that Allah the sublime and exalted in all of his attributes is utterly unlike humanity i mean this is this purity of understanding that we need to have in order to be true believers and he's going to continue on this he's going to explain this a lot more but this is extremely important based on laysa kamithlihi shay that's a very very important point obviously whoever ascribes any human qualities to Allah has blasphemed and thus has become a kafir and thus become entitled to the most serious of punishments. Whoever understands this and understands the danger of this, then that person is going to take heed, i'tabar, and he's going to stay far away from what disbelievers say when they say strange things about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sublime and exalted. In all of his attributes, he's utterly unlike humans. He's going to continue on that a bit later. In the middle he talks about the beatific vision, just to clarify. This was a question that came up yesterday as well, which I was waiting to answer.